0: The Blunt Post with Vic.
1: Good morning and welcome to The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, the editor and publisher of The Blunt Post. The Blunt Post with Vic is a show that covers breaking and headline news, offers analysis, commentary, and I interview high profile public figures. In each show, I also highlight an exceptional organization, company, nonprofit, or even an individual that does great work in the community. After the headlines today, I interviewed the Honorable Congressman Adam Schiff and the president and co-founder of the Heart of LA Democratic Club, Lindsay Carlson. Here are some headlines from this morning and over the weekend. There are 15 days left until Election Day. More than 26 million people have voted as of Saturday. This is according to the U.S. Elections Project, a turnout tracking database run by the University of Florida political scientist Michael McDonald. That's more than six times the number of votes cast by the same point in 2016. A new Wall Street Journal NBC News poll of registered voters shows Joe Biden leading by 53% to Trump's 42%. The U.S. is averaging more than 55,000 new cases of COVID-19 a day, up more than 60% since a mid-September dip, and experts say that the country is in the midst of a fall surge. On Friday, the U.S. reported the most infections in a single day since July. As of Saturday, more than 8.1 million cases of the virus had been reported in the U.S. and 219,286 people have died, according to the Johns Hopkins University. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said on Sunday she and Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin must reach an agreement within 48 hours if they want to pass a coronavirus stimulus relief before Election Day. The pending result, according to economists, could be devastating if Congress and the Trump administration do not reach an agreement. Azerbaijan and Turkey's unprovoked war against Artsakh and Armenia continues after Azerbaijan violated the terms of two ceasefires. Azerbaijan's president Aliyev, refusing to accept the Armenia's right to self-determination in Artsakh, also known as Nagorno-Karabakh, launched a massive attack against Armenia and Artsakh on September 27. Before the war, Azerbaijan secured the support of the Turkish armed forces and a large number of terrorists from Syria, Libya, and Pakistan, some ISIS, paid by the Turkish government. Since, Azerbaijan has relentlessly shelled Artsakh with missiles and cluster bombs, which are illegal under international law. Aliyev has also targeted cultural institutions, bombing an ancient Armenian cathedral three times. In reaction to the atrocities committed by Azerbaijan and Turkey, cities around the world have started to recognize Artsakh. Senate seats that are in focus to likely flip for Democrats are Arizona and Colorado on top, followed by South Carolina and Maine, and then Texas and Georgia have a slim chance. Election day is Tuesday, November 3rd. The deadline to register online to vote is Monday, October 19th, which is... Today. The deadline for registering by mail to vote is postmarked Monday, October 19th, again today. The deadline to register in person to vote is Tuesday, November 3rd. The early voting period runs from October 5th through November 2nd, but dates and hours may vary based on where you live. You can also register and vote on Election Day. You can track your ballot after voting. In California, you can go to sos.ca.gov dot dot and anywhere else you can visit ballottracks.com. That's ballot T-R-A-X dot com. For registering to vote or any information, if you are in California, you can go to registertovote.ca.gov. Dot dot anywhere outside of California, you can go to vote.org. The Blunt Post with Vic. In his 10th term in the House of Representatives, Congressman Adam Schiff represents California's 28th District. Congressman Schiff currently serves as the chair of the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. He's a vice chair of the Congressional LGBTQ Equality Caucus. In October 2019, the House decisively voted to recognize the Armenian Genocide, passing Congressman Schiff's resolution with strong bipartisan support. The Senate followed suit in December 2019, also with overwhelming bipartisan consensus. As chairman of the Intelligence Committee, Congressman Schiff was one of the lead investigators in the impeachment inquiry against Donald Trump stemming from the Trump-Ukraine scandal. Trump was impeached in the House on December 18, 2019, making him only the third American president to be impeached. Congressman Schiff, thank you for being on The Blunt Post with Vic today. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing just fine. How about yourself?
1: I am am okay, one day at a time, as a lot of us Americans are doing these days. Absolutely. First, I want to thank you and just tell you again, I've always said this. you, You know, you're a rock star. I don't know how else to say it. On Sunday at the march in Los Angeles for Artsakh and Armenia, um, you, were, you were the star, and your speech gave a lot of people hope. Um, of course, you are a global rock star for the world, I think, what you've done for Americans, for the LGBTQ community, the Armenian-American community for over you know, two decades. I just want to thank you before we go on.
2: Um, well, that's very, very thoughtful of you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. It means a lot to me.
1: Wow. Congressman Schiff, there's so much on your shoulders. I, I often wonder how you operate and do all that you do with so much happening, especially as we sort of are at the 11th hour with the election and everything that's at stake and the Supreme Court um, hearings that are happening. First thing I want to talk about is the Protecting Our Democracy Act, which you introduced about two weeks ago to the House. It's a reform to prevent uh, presidential abuses, restore checks and balances, uh, strengthen accountability and transparency, and protect uh, elections. If you would uh, speak a little bit about that.
2: Sure. After Watergate, uh, Congress passed a, a series of reforms designed to protect the institutions of our democracy, uh, and they, they served us very well uh, for many years. And I think that after the abuses we are seeing uh, in the Trump administration, we need a similar package of reforms, uh, once again designed to strengthen the guardrails of our democracy, some of which were post-Watergate reforms that have now been broken down by president trump and so i worked on a package for about uh, six months with my fellow chairs and with the speaker uh, and the package uh, we introduced two weeks ago uh, two weeks ago um, does a variety of things it uh, protects against the abuse of the pardon power it makes sure that uh, a president can be held criminally liable for giving a pardon as part of a bribe uh, so that a president can't say commit these illegal legal acts for me and I will pardon you uh, if and when you're arrested. Uh, It tolls the statute of limitations so that the president cannot outweigh criminal liability by remaining in office. It protects whistleblowers. It protects uh, inspector generals by making them only subject to dismissal for cause. Uh, It strengthens the independence of the Justice Department to deter its politicization the way uh, Bill Barr has become essentially the president's defense lawyer, uh, using the department to... Uh, protect people who lie uh, for the president or go after the president's enemies. Uh, It uh, provides for the expedited enforcement of congressional subpoenas uh, so that a president cannot stonewall congressional oversight in the future by simply drawing things out endlessly in court, as this administration has. Um, It uh, allows for the enforcement of the the emoluments clause uh, so that Congress has a cause of action uh, and can make sure that a president is not uh, enriching themselves uh, at the public expense. Uh, So these are just some of the reforms in the package, uh, obviously uh, inspired by the abuses of uh, office by the president. Uh, We keep adding to the list, frankly, one of the late additions to the package was something to strengthen the Hatch Act uh, so that we don't have presidents again using the White House as a backdrop for uh, political conventions or drafting the marine corps band to play at at, uh, political rallies uh on the white house grounds uh so these reforms and others are part of the package um i'm you know confident that next year the package will have bipartisan support because i don't think any republican is going to want a democratic president uh should joe biden be successful doing anything like donald trump did uh so that's the genesis of the package and uh, it will be one of our very high priorities in the coming year
1: I mean it's all very practical things I last four years have taught us that this is this is such an urgent and needed um, reform that needs to be done when you were speaking about um, president just pardoning people that did their dirty work I thought about Roger Stone uh, and how egregious that is and what happened so hopefully Hopefully we will also have the Senate in November and because uh, I'm pretty confident that this will pass the House easily and hopefully the Senate too. And uh, But then again, as you said, uh, this is something that's very bipartisan and even Republicans wouldn't want a Democratic president to have the kind of, um, well I don't want to say President Trump had the right to do what he's done. He's basically uh, broken the law so many ways but this is bipartisan, as you said. So thank you for telling us about that. This is The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jarami, and you are listening to my interview with Congressman Adam Schiff. As I mentioned, you know, the Supreme Court hearings are happening right now uh, with um, Judge Amy Bunny Barrett, and so much at stake if she's to be confirmed. And I, I don't know if it at this point, it's even relevant to talk about how egregious it is that President Obama, uh, eight months left to his presidency, wasn't able to uh, nominate, well, she nominated, but confirmed a Supreme Court Justice because Republicans, including uh, Senator McConnell, uh, told him it's an election year, and yet we're we in the middle of an election because people are voting already, and yet we are here. Uh, with this. Uh, But I want to specifically talk about Judge Barrett's record and where she stands with the Affordable Care Act and what's at stake. 20 million people have gained coverage uh, because of the Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare. And so many other statistics and numbers show us that Americans are doing a lot better with health care. It's not perfect, but so much better than it was before ACA. So, um, your thoughts on what's at stake, and specifically about the Affordable Care Act?
2: Well, uh, you know, I think it's certainly uh, important and appropriate to point out, as you have, the blatant hypocrisy of Mitch McConnell, Lindsey Graham, uh, and so many of the other GOP senators who refused, um, even a year before the election, to take up uh, a uh, nomination by Barack Obama of Merrick Garland. Uh, they insisted that, no, the voters had to speak first, uh, and, uh, and Linda Graham even went so far as to say, you know, should Donald Trump nominate a justice in their last year, there's no way we would take it up, then you can hold that tape. Well, right. we have that tape now. Uh, and the hypocrisy just grabs you right by the throat. Yeah. But in addition to the hypocrisy, uh, you have the real... Uh, danger that uh, this justice that is being uh, jammed uh, down the the throat of the American people uh, while they're voting uh, is someone who will ultimately vote to repeal the Affordable Care Act uh, and cost uh, millions of people uh, their coverage, um, and millions and millions more who have pre-existing conditions will either not be able to get coverage in the future or will have it, but it will be prohibitively expensive. She may uh, strike down Roe versus Wade, and uh, that would be, I think, a uh, hugely consequential decision for the the health of so many women around the country and uh, their uh, right to choose. Uh, But in so many other ways, um, a six to three arch conservative court may prevent the federal government from being able to regulate uh, pollutants uh, in the air and in the water. And so I think we could see a degradation of the quality of our environment uh, and a further impact on our health. And these are just a few areas. Uh, The court might strike down, as uh, two of the current justices have indicated, the right to marry. Um, And so uh, in key issue after key issue uh, this nominee would likely take the court and the country uh, backward. And I, I do think that uh, if the Senate ignores its own rule uh, that it's established to, uh, to prevent Merrick Garland from being seated, then uh, the, a Democratic majority in the Senate will have to give serious consideration to expanding the size of the court to unstack it, uh, because the GOP will have uh, used its uh, power and hypocrisy to stack the Supreme Court in a way that is completely unreflective of the country. And it may very well fall to the Democratic majority, if there is one in the Senate, uh, to unstack the court by increasing the number of justices, which would be clearly constitutional. Uh, It's a step that the Senate shouldn't have to take, but may be necessitated uh, by the uh, GOP efforts to stack the court.
1: And I hope that they do this, because what we've seen, I think Democrats in a way, you know, we're always reaching across the aisle, if you will, and trying to meet Republicans in the middle. But it seems like for about 20-plus years, Republicans are not willing to come a millimeter toward uh, Democrats, but they just sort of keep to their agenda and uh, bulldoze themselves into uh, these egregious things that they're doing, whether it's, you know, in the Senate or the White House. You know, and I hope that Democrats and, and uh, should Vice President Biden get elected, that he too, <laughs> I hate to say it like this, but this is the best way to describe it, but he becomes a little bit of a cowboy and he just kind of like, just goes in and, and does what he wants to do. The one thing I wanted to clear or just ask you is when you said um, that should um, Judge Barrett becomes a Supreme Court justice, she may strike down right to marry. I'm sure you meant marriage equality for LGBTQ people, correct?
2: Yes, yes, no, absolutely. I think we saw two of the justices recently expressed the view that they uh, believe that the decision um, in favor of marriage equality should be struck down. And if they get additional and additional vote, um, who knows where the ballots of the court will be. Uh, so marriage equality uh, is very much implicated uh, in this confirmation, but also because the Senate may have the power to... Uh, unstack the court. Uh, marriage equality, in a real sense, is also on the
1: ballot. Yeah, that's it's so saddening to think about that, what we've gone through with Prop 8 in 2008 and 9, and the road to marriage equality took all the way to, to 2015, and yet now all of a sudden we're back to, you know, we could possibly be back to uh, square zero. Uh, it further saddens me that uh, President Obama's legacy of eight years was so much of the work he did has been chipped away in four years. And uh, I just can't wait until November 4th, I should say, um, that that happens. I was going to ask you about uh, marriage equality and you think that would be at stake, but you you answered that really well for everyone. This is The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jarami, and you are listening to my interview with Congressman Adam Schiff. In terms of the, the Supreme Court hearings, uh, can we Americans, can voters still make an impact?
2: Yes. Uh, you know, uh, I think people should continue to weigh in, make sure their voices are heard uh, and call their representatives uh, around the country to let them know that they do not want this confirmation to go forward uh, and it will influence how they vote uh, that there's a real cost to what they're doing Uh, when the trump administration was trying to sabotage the postal service uh, taking out sorting machines uh, canceling overtime for postal workers even though they would be called upon to handle an unprecedented number of absentee ballots the country really rose up and spoke out, and as a result, the postmaster general, Trump's postmaster general, uh, had to back down from a number of these changes. Uh, now, um, while he reversed uh, the overtime rules uh, and stopped any further uh, weakening of the Postal Service by taking up more sorting machines, uh, there was still damage done. But nonetheless, the public in- output and outcry had a big impact, and it, and it can here, too.
1: Okay, it's good to hear that, because sometimes we don't know, I think the public doesn't know if uh, it's too late, or if it, it's going to be what it's going to be. But I am hoping that one or two Republican senators will see the light and, uh, and not vote, or um, not vote to confirm uh, at this point. So do you think that's a possibility? We'll have other senators, but Susan Collins, that would do that?
2: I think it's very unlikely, but it's it's certainly possible. Um, it's not over till it's over. But I think we need to go forward uh, with the expectation that uh, Mitch McConnell is going to jam this confirmation through. And uh, it's all the more important for us to get out and vote uh, and repudiate this and give a Democratic uh, Senate uh, the ability to unstack the court. People need to realize uh, so much is at stake. We talked about the democracy reforms. Our democracy is on the ballot. We talked about the Supreme Court uh, and the woman's right to choose and marriage equality and health care being on the ballot. But the, the health of our people is very directly on the ballot with the president's uh, terrible mishandling of this pandemic. We still don't have a national strategy to get this pandemic under control. We have, in fact, a president who is working against the advice of, of the experts and continues to send uh, destructive messages uh, to the country about wearing masks, politicizing, you know, the very wearing of a mask that could save tens of thousands of lives, that simple act. Uh, So we need a new administration uh, that is devoted to the science, that is willing to use the Defense Production Act to make sure we have the protective gear that we need uh, that can ramp up testing and tracing. We should have tests available to anyone at no charge with results within 24 hours so people can know do they need to be isolated and and contract tracers can be able to trace the spread uh, these are very simple steps that other nations have taken and uh, they've gotten a much better result than we have uh, we've had 210,000 americans who've paid for the president's incompetence with their lives yeah. uh, we desperately need to get this uh, pandemic under control this president can't do it uh, i'm very confident that joe biden can and so in a very real sense people's health uh, and because our economy is tied to the pandemic, uh, their economic livelihood as well, are really dependent on us getting this pandemic under control and defeating it. Uh, and that's, uh, I think, issue number one on the ballot.
1: Yeah, indeed. And I was going to ask you, how about relief? Um, you know, HEROES Act was passed or introduced to the House what about six months ago, and uh, I believe there's a second version of Heroes Act. Where are we in terms of relief and can that even happen at this point in 2020?
2: You know, the negotiations are ongoing. I think the speaker was on the phone with Secretary Mnuchin for an hour today. That's a positive sign, but there're still significant differences uh, between the two parties and uh, one thing that was very telling is there's a near-mutiny going on within Mitch McConnell's Republican conference in the Senate, uh, with more than half of the Republican senators not wanting to do anything. Uh, and that's what we're negotiating with. Uh, we're negotiating with folks who don't believe they should provide any more help to the American people that we can't afford it. Uh, these are the same folks that uh, supported a $2.2 trillion tax cut for Wealthy families and corporations for stock buybacks and executive compensation. Apparently, they felt we could afford that, but we can't afford to provide help to renters who might get evicted, and we can't afford to provide unemployment compensation to people who've been laid off because they can't go to the job site, Uh, and we can't provide further help to small businesses who are closing their doors. But we have enough money, apparently, for large tax breaks for wealthy corporations and, and individuals. So that's where half of his conference is more than half of the Republican conference. And that's what we're negotiating with. Uh, But, uh, you know, I'm I'm hopeful that the uh, Speaker and the Treasury Secretary can come to an agreement and uh, it can be forced upon the Republican Senate. Uh, But we're going to make every effort because people are really hurting right now. And we just have to get this done.
1: Yeah. Thank you for that, Congressman. This is The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and you are listening to my interview with Congressman Adam Schiff. Last thing I want to bring up um, this morning is the war that was unleashed on Artsakh and Armenia by Azerbaijan and uh, Turkey by proxy uh, and what's happening there. And you have been very outspoken about this um, to a lot of Armenians uh, who have PTSD still from the genocide, it feels like Genocide Chapter 2. And uh, just want to hear your perspective on what's happening uh, and what do you think can happen going forward? Maybe perhaps some hope for those who are listening.
2: Well, it, it's just completely catastrophic. Uh, Azerbaijan began this conflict as, as it has begun uh, so much of the violence uh, in the past along the line of contact to distract uh, their people from their domestic problems, uh, from their poor economy, uh, from the healthcare issues, the corrupt governance. Uh, It's a tried and true formula for autocrats everywhere. When they can't serve their country and their population, they provoke war with their neighbor. And so Azerbaijan began bombarding uh, Artsakh, uh, killing innocent civilians. Uh, Turkey uh, has done nothing but throw fuel on the fire. Uh, encouraging Azerbaijan to keep fi- fighting, uh, supplying materiel, uh, importing foreign fighters uh, from Syria in a very dangerous escalation. Um, and, you know, tragically, the administration, our administration, has not been willing to speak out uh, to condemn uh, Azeri and Turkish uh, violence and provocation and calling them to the cease and desist. I was pleased to see uh, Joe Biden issue a strong statement calling on Azerbaijan to end the violence and uh, on Turkey uh, as well to stop uh, its belligerence. Hundreds of people have been killed and thousands uh, injured and uh, in the uh, city of Stepanakert in Nagorno-Karabakh, more than half the residents have been displaced. So it's time to bring an end to this violence. It's also time to reassess our relationship with Azerbaijan and Turkey. Uh, We provide Uh, $100 million in military aid uh, a year to Azerbaijan. And for what? Uh, So that they can uh, attack their neighbor. Um, Mm -hmm. Why we are propping up uh, autocratic regimes at the expense of uh, democratic uh, people, to me, seems unconscionable. Uh, So it's really important that the U.S. stop speaking in terms of uh, false equivalency uh, between the actions of Azerbaijan and Turkey, who are the aggressors and who are, are killing innocent civilians, uh, and between Armenia and Artsakh, which is defending the lives of its people.
1: Yeah, well said, Congressman, thank you for that. In terms of, you know, people have talked about sanctions against Azerbaijan and, and Turkey, in the, in the very immediate, it seems like Erdogan and Aliyev are taking note from Donald Trump, which is basically bulldoze yourself through, doesn't matter what anyone says, uh, what the facts are, just sort of do it and get it done. And uh, at the end, you'll just sort of pretend, you know, you didn't know or you didn't do it. But, of course, there are casualties, as you mentioned. In the in the immediate, what can we do?
2: Well, I do think that Azerbaijan and Turkey uh, see this moment uh, as a window of opportunity uh, for their aggression. Right because we have a president of the United States who will not stand up to autocrats, so will not stand up to Erdogan. Um, Erdogan completely rolled the president uh, when it came to Syria, and uh, to the degree that it endangered our troops there. Turkey is buying uh, air defense systems from Russia that are incompatible with NATO. Uh, It is cozying up to Iran. And Erdogan knows that Donald Trump is not strong enough to stand up to him or has too much of an economic interest in Trump Tower in Turkey, to be willing to do so. The president has always also had business interests in Azerbaijan. Uh, and so I think both uh, countries uh, see um, this, this limited period before the election as perhaps their last opportunity. Uh, they also see a president who is very weak uh, in the United States. Um, and I don't think this uh, timing is uh, accidental, but it's all the more reason why uh, all Americans need to speak out about this. Um, if the administration will not, because we need to end the violence. I'm very uh, proud, that the vice president has spoken out about this. That I, I think, in and of itself, has a determined impact because uh, Turkey and Azerbaijan realize they will likely be dealing with a Biden administration, uh, and that uh, this will create very serious issues with them with a the new administration. So. We need to keep the pressure on to end the fighting, uh, and in the future, we need to, uh, I think, uh, bring an end to military assistance uh, to Azerbaijan, uh, insist on the installation of ceasefire monitoring equipment along the line of contact, uh, and reassess our relationship with Turkey, which is not behaving like a NATO ally.
1: Wow, brilliant. So well said. Thank you, Congressman. Before I let you well, go, I'm sorry. Th-
2: thank you. It, it, really good to talk with you, and, and I appreciate once again, you're reaching out to us.
1: Always. I want to ask you if there's anything we can do. Do you have a call to action for us, for you? What can we do to, um, to give back to you?
2: You know, the call to action is for people to vote. Um, the administration is doing everything it can to discourage and disenfranchise people. Uh, you see on television long li- voting lines, particularly in communities of color, in places like Texas and Georgia and elsewhere, uh, you see the Republican Party in California setting up fake uh, ballot boxes uh, to uh, deceive people into thinking that they're official ballot boxes, uh, even illegally mislabeling them as uh, as uh, official ballot boxes. Uh, if people go to I Will Vote or LA Vote, if you're in LA, um, those websites can tell you where the legitimate drop-off locations are. Uh, It's very easy to vote now, um, but we need to make sure we all do our civic duty and we vote. We need to make sure our neighbors vote. We need to make sure the turnout is the highest it's ever been uh, so that we can uh, turn the corner on this terrible and dark chapter of our history.
1: Wow. Thank you, Congressman Schiff. Appreciate your time and everything that you do.
2: Thank you. Great talking with you. Be well.
1: You too. Thank you, Congressman. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was the truly extraordinary and honorable Congressman Adam Schiff. Congressman Schiff, thank you so much for being on The Blunt Post with Vic today. I really appreciate your time. The Blunt Post with Vic. Lindsay Carlson is the president and co-founder of the Heart of LA Democratic Club, the first Los Angeles countywide Democratic Club with the primary purpose to elect feminist candidates and advocate for issues of importance to women. She is an appointed delegate to the California Democratic Party and an elected member of the Los Angeles County Democratic Party. She is originally from Minnesota and moved to L.A. to attend law school at UCLA. She currently works in private practice as internal counsel for a major international law firm and is a member of the board of the National Association of Women Lawyers. Hi, Lindsay. This is Vic. Thanks for being on The Blunt Post with Vic today. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well, um, just uh, one day at a time, like most Americans these days.
0: That's right. Yeah. And I think we have uh, 15, 16 days left. 15 days? Yeah,
1: I think 15 days. And uh, you're in the middle of it. You're being uh, one of the leading uh, people in California, if not the country, in terms of know-how and being a mover and shaker. Um, I really wanted to talk to you again about where we're at with uh, election 2020, sort of give us your take and uh, comments and such. So my first question to you is just a general one. <laughs> what's your analysis of what's happening with the election on this sort of two weeks that we have left?
0: Okay, so I guess maybe we should start with the presidential. Does that sound good? Sure. Okay. Um, well, from everything I've seen, uh, Biden is now comfortably ahead of trump in every public poll i guess you could say right um of course that is not what matters the most um the national popular vote it's it's matters what which states he's ahead and by how much right that's what's relevant to the electoral college but even now i think that he's got a pretty substantial lead where he needs to have it um it's it's tough to predict though because it's not a normal election right there's interference from russia there's voter suppression in various states and being kind of egged on by trump frankly and his sidekick uh, bill barr in the attorney general's office and then of course the coronavirus which is still raging and you know causing people to sort of change their regular behavior and we don't really know what's going to happen That being said, I think it's gotten worse for Trump. He's been treating the coronavirus so casually. I think since the last time I spoke with you, we found out he had the coronavirus. And then he kind of did that stunt where he went off to Walter Reed and tried to kind of do some PR from Walter Reed showing that he was completely fine and then went back to the White House and has been very cagey about telling people the last time that he tested negative. Um, Just a lot of real theatrics kind of coming out of his uh, office. And then... Then he pulled out of the debate and agreed to do an event on NBC. And, you know, initially we all kind of thought that that was going to be a terrible thing for us. But then it sounds like Savannah Guthrie and I didn't watch it. And I think a lot of people didn't. Um, but I did hear about the highlights and Savannah Guthrie grilled him and he admitted to having more than 400 million dollars of debt. Didn't say like who he owes it to. <laughs> um, and then he also, you know, kind of boffed some questions about QAnon as well and, Their sort of October surprise attempts have fallen quite flat, frankly, the the recent uh, Rudy Giuliani, Hunter Biden laptop thing that's come out has not really caught, you know, caught steam with the press or with the public. I think people just aren't in the mood to um, to buy into these conspiracy theories this year. So it seems like the election is pretty well set. If anything, it's it's getting worse for him. Various Republicans have been jumping ship and trying to distance themselves, I think everybody kind of knows what's coming here at this point. So I, yeah, so I would say at this point, you know, it's, I, I think as long as and again, the caveat is we don't have too much voter suppression or intimidation, which is a big caveat this year, unfortunately, I think we're looking at probably 335 electoral votes for Biden and about 203 for Trump, which would be a landslide.
1: Well, I feel so much better now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I'm that's, not an oracle. You know, but, uh, that's great. But that's, I think that's even a conservative estimate, to be frank.
1: As an attorney, I know that you're very um, conservative. With, you know. Yeah. So when I hear it from you, it makes me very confident. So it feels really good. I appreciate that. And one other thing is, the aside from the Russia interference and voter suppression, well, this is part of voter suppression is the... The U.S. Postal Service sabotage, which, right. um, you know, even though part of it has stopped, uh, we, we don't really know what the outcome would be of the things that DeJoy did before he was called out. Um, right. So I want to um, sort of be devil's advocate now and just ask you, um, what states in terms of electoral votes, what states are not like the top ones for biden and i don't mean the red states the ones that we know are going to go red but just the ones that are sort of um you know the 16 or 17 states that are the deciding factor
0: okay that's interesting i think that when we're looking at the sort of swing states this time around so i think florida is going to be a big deal that's kind of going to be a bellwether, I think, in some ways, because we're going to know on election night whether Trump won Florida or Biden won Florida. And frankly, if Trump doesn't win Florida, it's looking very bad for him as possibilities of winning the Electoral College overall. Of course, Florida went for Trump last time around, um, but it's it seems like they have made some strides with respect to um, extending access to the franchise there, particularly the last cycle with i believe it was amendment four i may have gotten the number wrong but anyway allowing uh, people who have committed felonies and have served their time to be able to have their rights restored to vote granted okay, there were some setbacks with respect to requiring them to pay their fines but i think there have been some efforts to actually pay those fines for people so that they can get the franchise back so that will be helpful and then also older people this time around have been moving towards biden in very yeah. dramatic ways in florida of course it's, yeah. it's a lot of older people in florida So I think Ohio has a reasonably decent chance of flipping blue this time as well, which would be a big deal. Um, The other ones that are sort of on the edge, Iowa, I think has a very good chance of flipping blue. And that's also sort of buoyed by uh, Teresa Greenfield's run against Joni Ernst there, where Greenfield is doing very, very well. And I I think North Carolina, I don't know if it was blue last time or not, but I think that's another one that's considered a battleground state. And then you have some other reaches, too, that are kind of on the wish list, uh, but not totally out of reach, like Texas and Georgia. Right. Both of which seem to be primed to potentially flip blue.
1: And, and both of them have uh, Senate races that are toss-ups. We could possibly flip yes. them.
0: So, yes. Yes.
1: I want to also ask you about—thank you for that. That's very helpful. I want to ask you about the Supreme Court and where we are and what do you think is going to happen.
0: Uh, You mean with respect to Amy Coney Barrett and whether she's going to be confirmed? Yeah. I think she will be, unfortunately. And I think that was what the intent was from the very beginning of this. And um, all of the Republicans knew that when they rushed through the confirmation process and kind of at top speed. It's really unfortunate to see just how evasive she was during questioning this last week. She was not, her temperament was a bit better than Brett Kavanaugh, although I would say that she certainly seemed testy at times and especially with the women senators, and most especially with Kamala Harris. I don't know how much of that was performance for Trump himself, or if it's just kind of her general orientation towards being questioned on things that she's uncomfortable answering, but she really didn't give a whole lot of answers on things even where other conservative judges, uh, such as Chief Justice Roberts did in the past, uh, which is somewhat troubling, frankly. At the same time, I think that, you know, it's it's sort of a done deal because they have the votes in the Senate. They're definitely letting Susan Collins kind of cast her protests here and, and, you know, oppose confirmation of Barrett, but ultimately won't make much of a difference. If there's 50 votes in the Senate and Pence needs to break a tie, that's what'll happen. And I think she'll be sitting on the court, unfortunately, in a few weeks.
1: Yeah, I I, I kind of agree with you. And I'm hoping that if that happens and uh, should Vice President Biden become president, that he will follow suit and expand the Supreme Court to 11 because it's the only solution for Democrats to do what Republicans have been doing, which is just stay, you know, stay on their own agenda and, and not allow a six to three staunch Republican uh, Supreme Court. And not to mention all the other federal judges that were appointed by, by Trump, who are mostly super conservative, um, which is scary. Those have ramifications for decades to come. So I want to switch gear to a little bit local and to what you do. You are you know, not only the co-founder, the president of Heart of L.A. Democratic Club, and I know that you are you know, involved in many different things, including phone banking and outreach and resources and such. What's, what's happening right now with uh, the Heart of L.A. Democratic Club?
0: Oh, yeah, we're doing a lot of different things right now, um, as you might imagine, with the federal elections being so hot, as well as a lot of local elections. A number of previously off-cycle elections, such as for the smaller city councils and even Los Angeles City Council, have all been consolidated at the same time as this presidential yeah. race. So, uh, you know, we're, we've got a lot to do and we kind of have endless amounts of tasks to do. Um, the more significant races that we've been working on, uh, Seppi Shine for West Hollywood City Council, yeah. we're doing quite a bit of stuff for her, including phone banking. I know that's going to be a pretty tight race and it's a pretty interesting one. Yeah. We are also really supporting Holly Mitchell for uh, Board of Supervisors yeah. and have been doing some work with that. We have a, a number of our members who've been very deeply involved with the Chrissy Smith campaign. In fact, one of our board members and then another member of the club are actually Get Out the Vote captains for the campaign and have been devoting several hours a day particularly on weekends but also otherwise in addition to their day jobs uh, trying to get christy elected which is just amazing
1: since we spoke last time i interviewed christy and that was really great to be able to do oh
0: very nice yeah Yeah, she's going to be great i mean i think we can get her elected so it's i'm I'm really looking forward to seeing her in congress
1: i hope so so those are the those are sort of the top um, top local um, elections and such i've also actually re-interviewed uh, Congressman Ruda and Congressman Cisneros uh, since, who I believe are sort of working toward rewinning their seats. What do you think about those two?
0: I think both of them have a, a very good chance. Um, I know Ruda's in a tough battle, and you know things have gotten a little bit nasty in that race, particularly with the Republican engaging in some seems, seemingly very personal attacks against him. That's, that's really too bad. Um, I think Cisneros should be Fine. He's got a, a tough rematch against Young Kim, but I think that district should be a little bit less of an uphill battle than Ruta's district, just based on the registration there. But, you know, both will be pretty close, I think, this time.
1: Good. It's um, I hope both of them great uh, members of Congress to happen. So another thing I want to talk to you about is, uh, as you know, recently, or September 27th, uh, Azerbaijan, with the help of Turkey. Unleashed an unprovoked war, a genocidal war, actually, on Artsakh and Armenia. Artsakh, sometimes known as Nagorno-Karabakh to some people, and uh, it's been sort of like this horrendous catastrophe that's happening halfway around the world that is not getting much attention, and certainly not the attention of of our president. Uh, you know his is useless White House. So what's your perspective on that and what's happening?
0: I mean, I definitely condemn Azerbaijan's uh, attack against That's It's really, it took me a while to figure out exactly what was going on, because you're right, there isn't a lot of coverage of this in media. And I think even in Los Angeles, where we have a really significant Armenian population, you know, there aren't a whole lot of people who really know about that part of the world and the history there. But that's, it's pretty fascinating the way that, that things have evolved um, and just kind of how outmatched Armenia is against its neighbors. And I think, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that this is happening right now, but I think it's also happening right now because of the sort of geopolitical situation that we find ourselves in, uh, particularly with, as you mentioned, a president that is worthless in this regard and has been quite complimentary of dictators such as Erdogan. And, you know, I think they feel like they probably can do something like this, um, under a trump administration they wouldn't have been able to get away with it under obama and they won't be able to get away with it under biden you know there will be a lot more care given to that part of the world and frankly other parts of the world too but it's it's very sad and i think we're all very distracted by all the electoral things going on but it's really important that we educate ourselves especially those of us who don't have much of a familiarity i'm not an armenian at all um, and i don't know that many armenians quite honestly other than just you know local people in los angeles so Um, It was not something that I knew much about, and I I would hope that your listeners would educate themselves on it as well. I will say that as a member of the Los Angeles Democratic Party Central Committee, I did vote in favor of a resolution condemning Azerbaijan for this attack, and that resolution did pass unanimously in the Yes, Fantastic.
1: Thank you for that. You're welcome. One of the frustrating things is uh, when initially coverage was coming out and some of the rhetoric coming out of world leaders, the language... Um, I think they're trying to not offend uh, Turkey and Azerbaijan. One of them, a country that's um, a NATO member, and the other one has you know, a lot of oil that the West wants. The language was very much like both sides. Mm. And it's so frustrating when you're attacked unprovoked. provoked. What are the both sides? So I use the analogy that if you're, let's say, a social worker and you go into the home of a, of a couple... Um, the husband is a wife beater, and the the wife is a battered wife. You don't sit them both down and say, "I would like both of you to put your fists down." So, right. why is this being asked of Armenia? If Armenians don't defend themselves, just what they're doing, they're not in an offensive, just defensive. There will be another genocide. Um, if you want peace, tell Azerbaijan and Turkey. In mean, Turkey, has brought in ISIS and, and mercenaries from like Libya and Pakistan and, and Syria, and it's it's just unfathomable to watch this happen. When we have United Nations, we have Council of Europe, we have um, Human Rights Watch, and um, it's it, you know it's just just sort of happening. And I also want your pers- um, perspective on this because I do see it. Um, in terms of diplomacy the statement that vice president joe biden and, as well as senator harris put out was very lackluster very sort of middle of the road not really condemning anything <laughs> hmm. and that was frustrating and i wonder if it's because before the election they don't want to be like make headlines or to shake the status quo but then again i also wonder if this is you know because you know Let's be blunt. I mean, Democrats aren't perfect either, and sometimes Democrats also embolden dictators and countries for, you know, certain advantages, etc. And I, I'm just fearful that this will be the Biden administration's policy too of placating to Turkey and Azerbaijan, and that's disheartening. You know, I don't know.
0: If- For sure. And I don't even know who Biden's foreign policy advisors at this point, and I never worked in this space. So to to some extent, this would be conjecture on my part. But I would not be surprised if they are being very careful with their words and, you know, kind of taking a a less aggressive approach, in part because we are in the middle of a presidential election. And in general, you know, we have this principle in the United States that we have one administration at a time. Right. And last election, we found out there was a lot of collusion or you know coordination or whatever you want to call it going on between the incoming Trump transition team and various foreign powers. And maybe, and again, this is just purely conjecture on my part, Biden and Harris don't want to be seen as kind of conducting a shadow foreign policy with a few weeks left to go before the election that Biden is probably going to win at this point. Yeah. That's my guess on that, but I, I don't know for sure.
1: Yeah, I um I like that. I like your perspective on that. I think that uh, Pete Buttigieg will probably. I'm pretty sure he will have a role in in the Biden administration, and something tells me he might be up for a Secretary of State. But we'll
0: see. Oh, interesting. I don't know. I think you're absolutely right that there's likely going to be a role for him, probably in the cabinet. I don't know which uh, particular role it would be, but that's that would be an interesting choice.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, Lindsay, before um, before you go, I want to ask you in terms of voters in well, California and also nationwide, what, um, what resources do you offer for them to go and to go to Heart of L.A. Democratic Club's website? And what are some of the key things that they should look out for uh, from now till November 3rd?
0: Are you speaking as far as resources, um, how yeah, to get involved?
1: Or, 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 yeah, how to get involved, how, you know, obviously they can donate, they can volunteer, things like that. Um, But then the second part of the question is for voters, you know, with deadlines coming up and people being nervous about their votes not being counted and such, what are some key points, um, takeaways you can uh, share?
0: Oh, sure. Okay. so uh, with respect to your actual ballot, everybody should have a ballot right now that they've received in the mail and probably received it
2: about a
0: week and a half ago at this point. Um, You can actually go to the L.A. County So if you're you're listening and you're in Los Angeles County, you can go to the L.A. County Registrar's uh, site, which is lavote.net. That's a pretty simple website. And then on that website, there actually is a service that you can take a look at to track your ballot as well. I don't know if you can still sign up for ballot tracking that might have already passed, but you can definitely use the the website itself to find the link to track your ballot kind of after the fact um, if you enter in your information.
1: And do you need help at Heart of LA Democratic Club right now with volunteers and such?
0: Oh, we can always use help. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) what I would actually recommend, though, at this point, um, you know, we, we do stuff for the local candidates, kind of on our own for our local endorsed candidates. So if people wanted to get involved with Seppi Shine's campaign or with Holly Mitchell or um, with, for example, Nithya Raman as well. We've also endorsed her up in that uh, council district four race. That's a pretty interesting one to watch, quite honestly. Um, We can kind of help you direct you to the right places for that. But for any of the federal stuff, I would actually recommend looking at the grassroots Democrats HQ and the Westside Democratic HQ. There are two organizations in L.A. County. They're doing a lot of stuff uh, virtually, but there's sort of a clearinghouse for all the different activities that you can do from the Senate races to the House races to, you know, just contacting voters and helping getting them registered. There's a number of different things that they handle.
1: Yeah. And I've interviewed both Jane Wachon and uh, Melissa Grant. Great organization. Very nice. <laughs> uh, very helpful. I love that um, us Democrats were so working in unison and in solidarity, that's Great to hear, and Lindsay. Anything that you'd like to add that I may have not asked you or just missed?
0: You know, not really. I mean, I think I'm I'm actually very cautiously, but very optimistic about the results. I think you know the the Senate uh, is really critical. It's critical for us to flip the Senate. We only need about three seats to do it to get to an outright majority, and I think we have a really excellent chance of, of netting three overall, and we may even run up the score a little bit and get as many as eight seats. And that would be wonderful. (laughs) Um, And then we could do a lot of the things that we've been prevented from doing because Mitch McConnell's been sitting there blocking every single bill that comes to his desk that would actually do things for the American people. So I'm, I'm hoping for a really good 2021, you know, we'll start putting things back together. It'll take some time, but um, I'm hopeful.
1: Fantastic. Well, you're going to, you're going to get everyone on a, on a good start uh, for the week. This is very optimistic and, uh, It's really good to hear from you, Lindsay, and your wisdom and your insight. So, thank you for being on the show today.
0: You're welcome. It's great talking with you, Vic.
1: All right, thanks. That was Lindsay Carlson, the co founder and president of the Heart of LA Democratic Club. Thank you, Lindsay, for being on the show today, especially considering how busy you are. The Blunt Post with Vic. Before we go, I want to thank my extremely talented producer, Ricky Herrera. And uh, of course, thank you for joining me for another episode of the Blunt Post with Vic. Please tune in next Monday at 7 a.m. for another episode. For more information, you can visit thebluntpostwithvic.com. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at VicJerami. Uh, both Instagram and Twitter, my handle is at VicJerami. That's V-I-C, G-E-R-A-M-I. Blunt Post with Vic.